Thursdays are fox night. Foxes fly fish for free. Come on, all you foxes. Come on down. We go fly fishing for free. And we are back for another week of SVS Fly Fishing Podcasting. What is going on, boys? It's been a long time since uh, one of you guys has been around this table. Just a couple months, that's all. <laughs> nice little break, buddy. Hey, first, before we, uh, before we do anything... I think Jay and I should say we're sorry to everyone who listened to last week's episode. <laughs> and each other. <laughs> and, and each other. Well, fuck you, Jason. <laughs> I got an abundance. I'm out of here. Wait. Is this mic on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're registered. I got an abundance of messages. Boy, you're, you, your boys were jacked last week. <laughs> like, oh, really? Oh, yeah. We were drinking straight. Oh. Uh, at least I was drinking straight uh, Captain Morgan's orange vanilla. Which is dangerous stuff. You like me on the Sayers podcast. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God, yeah. We, <laughs> I think toward the end of the show, we're... Eh, you were you, yelling at the U.S. Army Corps? <laughs> no, we're yelling at each other. Oh, no bad. Like, F-U-J, I'm not going on your dumb float tomorrow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. I'm out. And then I think at the end of me, it was... I'm out of here. Please. F you, I'm out of here. And Jace is over Was Chad going to try mono rigging? Yeah. Dude, Chad, Chad runs, goes running out, or, you know, he goes walking out of here, storming out of here, stomping feet and all pissed. And Jace is like, and we've been brought to you by Predator Flag here. Wow. <laughs> hey, how, remember that. how did a used Band-Aid end up in my seat here? I don't know. That's nice. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I think I, I, no, that was from me. Turn you up. I stabbed. How's that? Yeah. I there we go. Perfect. I, I stabbed my finger. Like Oh, that's nice. Yeah, look and at I that. And I had a band on. Yeah. So, tonight's show being brought to us live by Predator Flagger. Check Predator Flagger out at predatorflagger.com. A-Rex Hooks. Freshwater Saltwater. Find me at A-Rex-Hooks.com. Sims Fishing. Simsfishing.com. Tonight's show is being recorded live from the Urban Fly Company Studios. We are so happy to have Mark back around the table and Urban Fly Company sponsoring the show. Well, thank you. Uh, down to Earth Wealth Management. Check out Michael. Uh, he's got a website coming up. and doing a little bit of work on it, but uh, need some financial advising. He's the man. Down to Earth Wealth Management. Queen City guy, Ryan Evans. Our buddy just left. He came in to fish a little bit this weekend, take a float. Had a good time today. Had a good time floating on the river with him. Uh, I lost a few fish. They caught a few decent fish. Uh, our buddy Alex got his first hybrid, so that was fun. It was yeah. fun to watch, too. It was a shit show of a show of them uh, putting it into the net, and it was swimming around the boat and just taking off any which way it wanted to. And It, it was in a different place, so it was pretty cool to see it happen and yeah. go down. We were like, that's the world's biggest smallmouth. Yeah. Like, no, it's just an average hybrid. <laughs> and even that's average weird. on them is just, man, what a, what a fun show and a fun fight to watch. Oh, absolutely, man. 
So, uh, do we have any more, any more plugs? I don't know. I, I don't remember. QueenCityGaming.com. Yeti, built for the wild. Yeah. That's it. We're good. All right. Well, we got a box table tonight. Man. Um, podcast to podcast, little promotion. The Intermediate Line, Chris Adams, and uh, Beast Brushes sent us a, a care package. God, these are some sweet freaking flies. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, these light horsemen are crazy. You try to catch a muskie from an Aussie fly. Yeah, man. There's I, a couple I, small drop bear flies not included. Too. I like the, the the color transition in that big changer. Mm-hmm. Be a good soccer pattern. It'll be interesting to see how it oh, does. Yeah. Curious. We'll picture a little bit. No, those that has the foam in the back, mm-hmm. and now it stays right on top of the water and just snakes or I don't know. We'll see. Gonna find out. I and bet you with a 500 grain S6 is gonna go down. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. It's a sweet looking fly. I've seen them swim those, you know, on on the interwebs or on social media. They look pretty freaking awesome. Yeah, so. they do. That's a nine inch like uh, sucker. Almost like a white face sucker. Like you said, that thing is going to rock the socks off of some pike. Oh, yeah. In the springtime, yeah. mm-hmm. just hovering right on the surface. Mm-hmm. That's going to rock the socks off of them. A couple of hybrid-sized and smallmouth-sized uh, changers here, too. And Oh, my gosh. Are they just gorgeous. Thank you so much. So Chris sent some shirts, shirts. I haven't, uh, I haven't opened mine yet, but I'm opening it right now on air for the first time. It's a big old clouser. I love it. Uh, those yeah, are, that's a half and half. half. Oh, is it half and half? Yeah. It's got the a sweet shirt. The feathers down the sides. Whatever it is, it's super cool, and I'm gonna wear it proudly. A lot of goodies here. Heck yeah. Oh, and you got your uh, your Easter egg from Pat. I did. It's full of grass. Full of Easter grass. Thanks, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, it was funny because he didn't know I wasn't on the show, and he's like asking me all these questions. Finally, I was like, "What are you talking about?" It's like your Easter egg. I'm like, "What Easter egg? I'm sitting here tying flies." Oh, <laughs> whoops! Well, you're gonna find out next time you're there. Okay. <laughs> Two months later. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. We mentioned it was Chris Adams and uh, Beast Brushes, right? Yes. Okay. Just making sure. We did an in- intra po- or inter podcast promotion. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's right. With Beast Brushes. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if yeah. you said the intermediate. Line. Yep. And not Beast Brushes. I, I, well. I thought I covered them all. Maybe. I was just making sure. It, is it like last week? Are you tuning me out? <laughs> <laughs> I can try, can I? Hey, speak of that, we, we have a guest on tonight. Um, we should apologize to George Kiter also for last week because we were pretty drunk during the interview as well. So sorry, George. <laughs> but tonight's guest. the interview went pretty well, though. We held it together. I, honest to God, I can't remember. <laughs> I remember it being pretty well. And then after that, What's that I don't remember much. That we came into already. This one, the Ballroom Blitz. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to rock the suite for a while. I like that. The next song is probably my favorite by these guys. But, uh, yeah, we got... Little Willie. Yeah. Yeah. That was on a Detroit Rock City soundtrack. Nice. I love that movie. That's have you, have you guys seen Detroit Rock City? Oh, it's been a it's long been time. A long time, yeah. With the kids that are on their mm-hmm. way to the Kiss concert? Yeah. yeah. I lost my virginity. In a confessional! <laughs> it was awesome. That's a great movie. But, uh, yeah, Luke's coming on tonight. Do some, some musky, some smallmouth, and salt water. Dude's doing it all. Can't wait to talk about that. Um, Looks like the smallmouth have been pretty hot up there. Yeah. Yeah. That thing's giant. So, Mark, since the last time you've been here, you, you've seen something pretty giant. 
Yeah. You want to talk about that a little bit? We've had a lot go on. God, it's been end of March since I've been on. Before bad. Easter. Yeah, a few guide trips. Did you guys talk about that? And yeah. lo- no? Uh, you guys have- we, we've brought it up okay, in passing, good. but we wanted you to, to do the talking about it. Okay. Well, hey, good Urban Flyco. Get all of us to guide you now. So between musky, smallmouth, that's kind of going to be our mainstay. Lakes, floats, everything in between. I mean, all the water you've kind of reached out and said, yeah, that's awesome. Come see it. We've got a way to do it. We got what two rafts? We got Chad's aluminum drift boat. We got the aluminum boat. We got all kinds of vessels, all kinds of different different well, options to take you to. But mainly the smallmouth floats and the musky are kind of going to be the forte. Or we've our forte, forte. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but yeah, got a few trips out so far, and then yeah, then it led to the big guy. Got to take uh, Rick from Fly Tie Night. That's super cool. Yeah, so I, I asked him to come out one day. I'm like, all right, we're going to the big water. And funny part is, we started the day off, and we're sitting in like 17 foot of water, and he's casting out like the back of the boat. And I was like, throw it towards the shore. And there's a fish. Well, never mind. Don't worry what I'm <laughs> telling what you, you. Do what you want. <laughs> <laughs> Goes into the eight, fish breaks off. Probably 10 minutes later, I stick one. Set, set into it, pull right out of it. Tail comes up. Thank you. Come again. All right. Well, this is a good morning. <laughs> About an hour later goes by. Rick gets hung, and I'm like mid-air casting. And I was like, finally, like, get the cast out. As soon as it lands, it's like, let me finish this. I get like three strips in and stick like a low 30s. So he had, right. to, he had to watch it in shame while oh, he was, was stuck in a log. And then the bad part was is the line <laughs> sunk the whole way down. So we had the line like buried straight under the boat. We had to finagle it out from under a rock, then still go get the snag back out. <laughs> it was a treat. So we land that fish, and it wasn't but like maybe 10 minutes later, and I'm stripping, and just all of a sudden it's like, boom, it felt like I stripped right into a log. Before I can even like register, this fish just comes up thrashing Oh my God! Like get the net now. That hands down was by far the strongest, best fight I have ever had out of a muskie. It went straight down to the bottom, about 15 foot, and I'm just like torqued on it. And at that point, because I I hit it, but I didn't hit it great. So as soon as the fish came to the top of the water, I immediately dropped right down to my knees. Try to keep that line as close to the water as I could. And it went straight down under. I got him back up. Then he went around the other side of the boat. And then he went straight back down again. I got him up. Like, Rick, net him. Couldn't get him in. Drops back down a few more feet. Comes back up. Net him. Couldn't get him in again. Starts shooting out more line. Finally got him back in. He put it in the net. And this fish was all I can handle to get it up out of the bag. I didn't get a girth on it. But I figured it somewhere in the twenty-four to five range. I mean, the fish. But it was, was hitting the walls. Fat. Forty-seven. I mean, it was it was pushing thirty-five plus pound fish <laughs> on a double. But then pacarini tails have been just fire this year so far. Right week before that, I rose a low to mid forties fish on another one of them that just. No. How was that fish comparable size-wise to the big one you caught? When you were walking and wading. So comparable to that one, and I really wish I'd have had a bump board because after holding that fish, I really think that other fish may have brushed closer to 50. But it wasn't as heavy as this fish. It wasn't fish. as thick as this, this one. This fish was a lot heavier. 
a lot. I mean, it was all I can do just to hoist this thing by the gills and just hold it there. That was the You look like you were struggling in that it picture. Was, I mean, once <laughs> I got out and I got my hand under it, it was just trying to like lift it. I'm like, my God, Rick, this fish. Because it's funny. It's like we put it in the net. He looks at me. I go, what do you think? He goes, 48. I go, uh, I'm going to give it 46. And it met, met right in the middle. But it was by far the heaviest fish I'd ever landed. Hands down. You guys actually did bump it, though? Yeah, we bumped it, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that picture I sent was before I even pushed the tail down. And it was almost at 47. So once we got the tail out, it might have went just over, but it was 47. And that was a two-fish day? Yeah. Should have been a heck of a lot more, but... That's one o'clock came and it shut off right after that fish. That was the last one we moved that day. And then the week after that, we went right back. And Derek, during the early weeks, like, what should I, what should I tie up? Go double white with a white Pacarini tail. I don't have any white tails. And use a gold one. All right. So we get out there. We fish for probably ten minutes. He's like, all right, I'm putting this fly on. First cast, fish. Hey, there we go. <laughs> no what? First cast on that fly. Sticks his first muskie, and it came in pretty good, came in nice, stuck it in the net, and I had to full line out, so I'm like trying to strip line and net the fish, and got it in, and that's, it was, it was a fun one. We went ballistic on that fish. Yeah, that was the white fly he had sent us a picture of, right? Yep. Yep, that double. He's, his flies are coming a long way, too. They yeah. look really good. That dude's put his time in. For yes, sure. he has. He earned every bit of that fish, and he worked his hind end off for it. How big was that one? It was probably 31-ish, 32, right around there. Nice, okay. solid male. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been with him on three lost fish now, so to finally put that one in a bag for him, that was good. Yeah, he earned that one. He deserved it. Yeah. Now he's just even more jacked for another <laughs> one. And then, that's, then like, we, that's like your first hit of crack. We finished <laughs> the end of that, like that, that run, and I stick this fish, and I start stripping. I'm like, this is weird. It's it got weight, but it comes up out of the water. I'm like, oh, my God, this is the biggest largemouth I've ever hooked on a fly. We put it in a net, and he's like, dude, you got to measure that. That thing's like 23. It ended up being a 21-inch largemouth. Was it bigger than that one you lost? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, that fish just, no. I bet that fish was all the seven pounds. This fish probably was solid five and a half, pushing close big. to six. Yeah. It was a doozy. A little after that, I had a fish eating the eight. I don't know whether it ate the tail or I pulled it up out of its mouth, but I came up on the right, ate the back end of it, and I sat back and farmed it. Screwed that fish up. But one thing, too, we want to hit on. Uh, John, we had his guest on the show. Diaz. Oh, yeah. Booked a trip to come out with me. No way. So we go It's out. happened already. Yes, it happened already. And that's kind of one thing that I wanted to hit on because he's like, and, and I know we talked on the show, he didn't figure eight. He does ovals. I was like, oh, no, can't do that. <laughs> so he comes out and we get there and I was like, so what happened last weekend? He's like, it brought seven fish to the boat. He didn't hook one. I was like, what happened? I need to learn how to figure eight. I'm like, yeah, we definitely got to work on that. So we work on it for a little bit. He brings a fish to the boat and it wasn't quite there yet. And fish bumps off. By the end of the day, we got his figure eight down good. He goes out the next Saturday, brings four fish to the boat, sticks all four in a figure eight. So that was the beginning of his hot streak? That started it. He had, yeah, and it was at that point he really never figure eight. So we sat and worked on and worked on, and he got it down good. And he was persistent with it. 
And he kept doing this, like, no, fix this, do this. And then he finally got it to where it was, like, consistently perfect. I'm like, you've got it where it needs to be now. Sure enough. Changing elevation, changing speeds. And just keeping the speed to it. And a lot of people, like, as soon as they get there, that fly just dies. And that it will immediately turn that fish right around, 100% every time. He, the fish just doesn't stop when it's trying to get away. Yeah. But he's got a good transition right through, strips right into it, starts into the eight, and it's like, yep, your money. That's that's golden. Yeah, now he's he's on fire. <laughs> he is. He's been on fire since then. He's played, what, probably six, seven fish in the boat. So, before we get Luke on here, I want to talk something about today, but not about the fishing. My feet and legs itch and burn so bad from the stupid no seams and the stinging nettle. Oh, yeah. That was bad. That's the worst. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, my, my legs are being bit to shit. And I even said to Chad, I'm like, dude, I'm getting bit bad. And I'm like, he's like, yeah, no, no seams. I'm like, oh, yeah, those little, I mean, tiny, tiny little things. There's little black flecks flying around. Man, they're ripping us up. My feet are itching so bad. Uh, and then I hit that, that stinging nettle on the way out with my calf. It's burning. Alex got it bad with the Did bugs he? today. The bugs were, oh, yeah. no, his feet were beat up. Did you guys come out to Viaduct, you said? No, um, the next one up, Yorga. Oh. Yeah, we we ended up having a good day. Yeah. We, what, we probably caught a dozen smallmouth? Yeah, for the stretch we did. There is a dead spot in that stretch. Yeah, we did push through half of it, you basically. Know. Walleye. I'm surprised we didn't see more, you know, hybrids at the second spot we went to, but that so kind of is what it is. Jay and I both hooked walleye. Hooked walleye. I hooked mine. Mine, it was stupid. The line fell off of my finger, and I, I reached over here to grab to put it back on my finger, and I went, oh, there it is, and I just didn't get a good hook set in it, and I pulled the fish. I, I could see the fish on the bottom, and then Jay had one. He fought it all the way to the net. Just, oh, yeah. Poof. Just pulled too hard. Just It was close to the net, and it didn't want to, you know, make the last move for the net. And it gave <laughs> me hell. I tried to give it too much hell, and, and there you go. She came uncorked. Decent fish? Yeah, that one was probably was 18. Probably 18. 19. Oh, Evan's got a walleye, too. Yeah, it was, that one was bigger. That was fat. Yeah. It's a fatty. That was a good-looking fish. That should have been dinner. <laughs> yeah, I wish we could. If it was anywhere else. Yeah, good point. That's way down there, yeah. Anywhere else, we would have whacked her yeah. and brought her home and ate her with the tri-tip. <laughs> mm-hmm. Valid point. Yeah. Oh, that tri-tip is good. I mean, I lost a good smallmouth, decent smallmouth today. So did Alex. So, yeah. It, that was weird. He he had one. He stripped set, and the fish was coming at him, and it jumped at the same time that he was strip set, and it pulled the hook right out of its mouth. But it was it was a big fish. It was probably seventeen. You know, the way it goes. Some days. It was nice to see him get his first one, though. Yeah, like I said, that was a, that was a fun little experience. That that was the highlight of the trip. Yeah, because yeah. he he was pumped about it. Like he was fired up about it. Yeah, I got him a little. I was getting him all fired up last night about it, you know. And so he woke up ready to go, pumped up. I don't. They know. stay here last night, or they, yeah, they stayed at my place. Um. A few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I didn't. I don't think we had a podcast then. But Derek got a, you know, I got a hybrid with him too. Yeah. His first couple of hybrids, and uh, he had one. He had the first one he lost again. So 
He had lost he a couple other before cursed. that, and he was like, oh, no, I can't. No, this can't happen again. And he ended up getting into two others, putting it in pretty, getting in pretty hard. He was down there casting his ass off, so. We saw some kids casting minnows at the first feature. They were laying into some bigger smallmouth, man. Like multiple 16-inch fish. Jeez. Yeah. For fizzle. I should go throw a bait bucket. And and so your daughter has a few minnows for tomorrow. <laughs> we got gulp. We're good. Yeah, I love a live minnow. The only bad thing about them is you know sometimes they can eat they a little them far, but that's it's not not all not that common. Uh, I'm pumped for tomorrow. I haven't got my wife out fishing this year yet, so she she enjoys it, and it'll be nice to get the the girls out, get them on a float. I'm ready to row again. Teach my wife Take to row that. again. <laughs> this is my wife. She's like, I want to row. I'm like, okay. Deal. <laughs> yeah. I'll take all the, not that there's gnarly stuff, but the fast stuff. And There's one stretch right there. Yeah. Couldn't be any worse so, than Jace. Yeah. No, no kidding. You know what? He didn't do bad today. No, he was he was all right. He was fine. The, the, conditions, conditions, conditions. They sucked today. We had wind and no current. It's hard to hard to do that. Oh sure, but, but he did a good job. Yeah, he started learning some different stuff. I was just teasing. He's not that bad, but he's not that. He good didn't either. throw an oar in water. No, no, he's been fine since then. Huh? Could always be worse then. Yeah. <laughs> oh my, yeah, but that's that's like you know what? Yeah, if you want to learn to row, she's like then that way because she's he's like it's like one thing. I, when I'm I'm reaching the point where it's like if I'm gonna go. I really don't want to take two people in my raft and one of them, like both of them, that don't know how to row. Because you know, if it's at that point, I don't really want to sit and have to row all day. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, I still am working 100 hours a week right now, trying to keep up with tying and the regular job. When I get the day to go, I got to make things happen. Mm-hmm. So if she wants to row a little bit, well, that that'll work. Like we tell everyone else, that'll make her an asset. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you get more phone calls or callbacks or trips if you uh, can row? But on that side, though, too, thank you all, the listeners, because I know a lot of you guys out there bought a lot of flies off me, and this year has been unreal. So I was telling Chad earlier, I think at this point I'm in the neighborhood of like 350-plus musky flies tied and sold. So, And it's only, what, the fifth month? Yeah. I'll take it. That's awesome. Appreciate it very much. and. There's a lot more in the works, too. I've got about five, six flies that are stuff that I've used for years that I've really never, th- like, had the chance to, like, put, you know, out there to start selling. Now it's like, all right, well, it's time. Yep. So, and the one actually caught my personal best on it. Oh, oh yeah. Yep. I remember so, that fly. Yep. We're working with that a little bit more again, resurrecting it. Musky flies? Um... Uh, Majority, yes, but two or three of them, no. Hmm, cool. Variations of deceivers and different types of deceivers. I mean, that one that I use with that SF head, that I've caught pretty much everything from smallies to pike to pickerel, everything on it. It's like the go-to. I always grab that fly. That's going to be one that's going to be put out there because it just does. It works. Have you thought of a name for it yet? No. Probably just an EP head deceiver. Oh, super creative. I keep, I keep it nice and simple. <laughs> yep. I'm not reinventing nothing. I'm just sticking something on what's already there. You should call it the Hornschwaggler. 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 <laughs> yeah. 
So, do we want to go take a break and uh, give Luke a call? Yes, sir. All righty, guys. We will be back. And I won't tell you to F yourself. Maybe. Not yet. I'll give you 16 more beers. <laughs> And we are back with Luke Swanson from Living the Dream Guide Service. What is going on, my friend? Not a whole lot. Just getting things touched up around the house after a day of fishing. Heck yeah, man. Sounds like a sounds like a good season so far, right? Yeah, absolutely. We had a great saltwater season earlier this year, and I just got back to Minnesota probably two weeks ago now. Um, and our season started a week ago. And it's we've kicked it off with a really good start with smallmouth season. So hopefully it just keeps up and we continue to keep raising the bar of what the season's been already so what what is smallmouth season for you yeah smallmouth season for me is usually mother's day weekend but it was a week late this year so first second week of may all the way to gosh it's the goes all the way into february but my season is truly to september and then we switch from muskies you know like september 1st and then go musky september and october but um, our muskie season also starts in June. So we do smallmouth from May to September and then muskies from June to basically middle of November. And then November, when do you make the, the voyage south? Uh, right after Christmas, I did it this year and I'll probably do the same this year. Um, I love doing a bunch of pheasant hunting and deer hunting after the season. So I got a two year old British lab and we love hunting grouse and pheasants. So I like to take that month, month and a half of a break and do a bunch of hunting and regroup and unload boats and fix things that need to be fixed. And then, you know, head south. So not only is she a boat dog, she's a working dog as well. Yep, correct. So she spends just about every day in the boat with me, um, hanging out with clients and doing that and then once the season's done we're off and we're hunting stuff so it's always a good time absolutely how does she handle fish like does she go ape shit when fish get hooked or is she really calm and collected or uh she's very very calm and collected even for like she's a year and a half right now and she is super calm and collected in the boat i mean she like clients get excited she gets excited she gets right next to the boat um and just watching the fish and she wants to lick every fish that comes in the boat um (laughs) so she doesn't get them all but she gets a good handful of them get a good taste of them um but yeah she's very calm and collected and relaxed in the boat um and she's like a she's 41 pounds 42 pounds she's a super small lab so she can fit right underneath my center console be out of the way and she just hangs out with clients all day so when someone wants to take a break from fishing and you know relax for a second well she's getting all the excitement in the world and you know getting all the love she wants then and you know clients love that she's been the little mascot in the boat that's for sure awesome that's awesome so after a multi-species day and you guys are sitting at home does she say dad the smallmouth really tastes better than musky yeah. <laughs> uh, i don't know she does love musky slime there's something about that where she does love it, but she gets to taste more smallmouth every day, day in and day out. So, you know, depends on the day. Yeah, man. So let's let's work our way back to smallmouth and musky, but let's go through uh, saltwater fishing first. For sure. So what what made you want to go to Florida and start guiding down in the salt? 
Uh, so when I was at my started guiding, wow, when I was 18 up in Alaska on the Lagnac river, um, and doing that, I just loved guiding up there and doing that. And I actually wrote it on a post-it note while I was there to go guide in Florida. Like that was a dream of mine. That was a goal of mine. So I wrote it on a post-it note and I put it on my dream board in my garage, pinned it up. And last year was a crazy year of me running with my head chopped off, um, with people that weren't able to get to Canada while well, they came to Minnesota for trips. So I was not saying no to trips and I ran with my head chopped off and I should have said no more than I did. But um, we had a phenomenal year last year and we got into basically the end of the season. And I looked at that post-it note. I'm like, you know what? I should do that. Um, and my mom actually asked me what I was going to do right after guide season. You know, what are you going to do after you're done running with my head chopped off? And the first thing that came out of my mouth was, well, you know what, let's go to Florida. Let's find out what it is and check that off my list at least. And it was supposed to be a four month vacation of relaxing and fishing and like just like composing myself for another crazy year guiding up in Minnesota, um, which turned into, you know, I was fishing every day in January and clients of mine got wind that I was down there. And February, March, and April turned into guiding four or five days a week and doing that program. So that was phenomenal to be able to have my clients that, you know, believed in me and wanted to come down and fish with me specifically and help me learn the whole program, which was phenomenal. And, you know, it was a fun time being able to do that. And, you know, saltwater fishing, there were so many things that I was able to take what I learned in river fishing and apply it down to the salt as well as things I learned in the salt to come back and use in the freshwater, which was a ton of fun. So we were down by, you know, between Boca Grande and Tampa Bay. So I was fishing some in Tampa Bay, some down by Boca Grande, Fort Myers area. I spent some time in the Keys, um, kind of fished all over down there trying to figure out where I liked and how I liked to fish and all that. So just trying to learn the program down there, which was a ton of fun. And we were catching snook and redfish and trout and tarpon, grouper, big sharks. You know, we had a big mixed bag of everything from fly fishing to gear fishing, to live bait fishing, um, all the above there. So it was really cool to go down and, you know, applied what I knew up here and go down and learn the salt water. So there's nothing that fights harder, you know, fight fights as hard up here as it does down in the salt. But there is something about I going going down there and coming back. I didn't realize what a special fishery we had in Minnesota compared to down there. Like Florida stuff is really fun, but we do have something special here up in northern Minnesota. So, so after having it all and experience and catching the fish, what do you find moving forward is going to be your forte fish wise? Uh, say that again. So like after that? after you've already been down there now and you've got to catch the fish, you've got to guide the people, you've got to experience all the different fish. Moving yep. forward. What do you feel you want to like target? Like, is it going to be the snook? Is it going to be the redfish? Or what, what do you feel that is going to be your species you're going to keen in on? Yeah, so it's going to be probably snook, redfish, and tarpon. Um, trout was fun. Trout was a fun filler. Um, Great but to that eat, snook too. program, like, that was so fun to get a bunch of snook in a day and some really big snook, too, you know, over that 40-inch snook class. But there's a ton of fish that are in that. 22 to 28 range and a good handful of fish over 30 and then those 40 inch fish those are rare but when you get to hook into them and see them those things are incredible um and then when it's a, when you find a big pod of reds and you get to stay on those pods of reds on a big flat man that is a just an absolute blast and then tarpon i mean you know everyone knows the you know the king there and when they start running up you know the west coast and working their way on their migration 
when they come into town, that's just a ton of fun to do that too. Um, and if I could, if I could find and target Jack Trevally every day and consistently be on him every second and have spots lined up, I would just chase those things. Those things are the most sporting fish on a fly rod I've ever seen in my life. It is incredible. They will eat a boot if you move it fast enough in front of them. Um, <laughs> those fish, I mean, and as soon as you hook them, they scream, absolutely scream line. So when you can get them in deep water, you know, they dig down and make long runs. But if you can get them on a five-foot flat, I mean, they're 200 yards away, just gone in seconds. Um, super similar to like GTs um, is how I would relate it to. There's a few guys that re um, related them to, you know, GTs and called them, you know, the American GT. And like, I can totally see the, you know, similarities to that. But anyhow, going off track there and rambling, but yeah, snooks, redfish and tarpon is kind of what I'm going to do moving forward. So can, can we go back to rambling about the jacks? Uh, mm -hmm. what, what gear are you using for them? Are you throwing 10 weights or? Uh, we're throwing eight weights. You could definitely use a 10 or 12 if you wanted to, but in eight weights, usually with floating line and then something that small, that was in four to five inch range that you can move super fast. Did you end up taking a, your SS minnows down there? Yes. And they loved those. <laughs> loved them. <laughs> Absolutely loved them. So Snook loved them too. Those guys crushed those. Um, Trout loved them. Um, what else did we get on them? Bunch of Snook got them. Um, no reds on them though. Reds were eating more of that shrimp pattern um, is usually what we were getting them on. And were there different tactics or what what went into your day to decide whether you're going to go fly casting or spin fishing or bait fishing what what made uh, that so different i had basically in my boat i had everything every day so i'd start the day by getting on the water before sunrise and i would go get bait every day so i'd have bait in the boat at least just in case it was one of those days you know and i actually ran a lot more bait trips than i did fly trips last year um just because i was wanting to figure out where fish were sitting and why um, and that was more, you know, if you got a live well full of 800 baits and you chuck a bunch of baits on a mangrove line, well, snook are going to start popping. Redfish are going to start popping. You're going to see those fish and you can find where those fish are sitting a lot faster than just throwing a fly around. So I like doing that a lot more, just be able to learn this last year and figure out where those fish were sitting. And so, you know, we'd have uh, swim baits rigged up. We'd have shrimp rigged up. We'd have live baits rigged up and we've had we had flies rigged up just depending on what the day was. And, you know, if I had clients that were fly fishing, well, you know, some days I needed that live bait just to get those fish in the area active and moving and chasing baits around. Um, so you throw out a big bat of 20, you know, baits right in front of you in a 20 yard stretch. And all of a sudden you'd see snooks start popping up on the edge of mangroves, popping, popping on top of the surface, chasing the minnows I just threw out. And then you could throw a fly at them to get them to go. Um, and some days it just really needed that. It was, you know, those tough days you needed to have that going instead of just sight fishing them. So everything was in the boat every day because you never knew what you were going to find, um, especially when you found those jacks. If you found jacks and they were in deep water, you know, that 10 to 20 feet and you found them roaming out there, if you threw out a bat of bait. Well, the whole school of 50 of them would come straight up trying to eat those baits. So, you know, you threw out 10 baits and there's 50 fish. Well, it just started a feeding frenzy and you had to get your bait in there as fast as you could. Um, so you always had everything in the boat every day. Did you know how to throw a cast net before you went down there? No clue how to throw a cast net. Not a single clue, but um, got it with a couple uh, really good buddy of mine, Ryan Amaturo. Um, 
and he threw me he you know showed me how to throw a cast net and by the end I was throwing a 12 foot uh, cast net and you know getting bait that way and most of the bait I got was either super deep early on in the year um, or on the flats so you know that's a whole that's a whole game in itself of just trying to find bait and consistently catch bait you know that's as just as important if not more important than you know catching fish alone so and what kind of boat are you running I'm running a 22 foot pathfinder do you feel comfortable taking that out in big water or is that just like in the Tampa Bay area boat or nope yeah, we definitely took that offshore too. I feel super comfortable going offshore as long as the wind is coming in the right direction. Um, and so you just got to look at the offshore buoys to see what they're doing on that. But um, yeah, I, su- I feel super comfortable doing offshore stuff. Uh, it was definitely not my game of, you know, drop a bait to the bottom 40 feet and reel it right back up with a fish. Um, you know, you could catch plenty of fish doing that and it was fun to get a meat run in going offshore, but it was definitely not my cup of tea. Yeah, it has its, its ups and its downs. The, yep. the dinner is being definitely an up. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> Did you eat no, a ton I of like, snapper? Go ahead. <laughs> Did you eat a ton of snapper while you are down there? A ton of snapper. And I actually brought, like, one of my favorite things to eat was shark because um, we'd get a bunch of shark on the flats. So you get a four or five-foot <clears throat> black tip on the flats while we were fishing. And I'd cut that thing up and bring it home and, you know, throw it on the grill and bake or bake it in the oven man that was delicious i just actually just had that two days ago um and yeah so i have a ton of shark in the freezer right now so a four or five foot shark how much meat would you get off of that uh so if it's a four foot shark you're getting a three foot chunk of meat boneless because they don't have bones it's just all cartilage so um it's a perfect white meat and it's actually i can almost relate it to like a really um, good steak because it's a real dense meat. It's not like a flaky meat. Um, that's where like throwing it on the grill and like chunking it into like five inch strips of like steak and putting it on the grill. Um, that's how it's really good. That's one of my favorite ways to do it. Oh yeah. That, that sounds like a worth moving to Florida for half the year just to do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, correct. Yeah. The food is amazing for sure. So when you run into sharks, are you running single strand bite wire? Are you running like musky bite wire? What what do you do? Uh, so yeah, it was usually we'd be running like um, seven by seven stranded wire is usually what I had like kind of like my musky rigs. I would have that on there if we were um, thinking we might catch a shark, but if we were actually fishing for shark, we would be running what was it, two hundred and seventy pound wire and like 10 feet of that and then 10 feet of like 300 pound um uh, fluorocarbon off of that to your main line then if we're just shark fishing so you want a big long wire tippet and then you need a shock sec- section so when their tail comes and hits your line um if it hits braid or anything like that or super light mono it's just going to crack it right off so you still need a heavy section there to be able to handle those fish and how long did that take you to figure out uh, it took me a couple sharks to figure that one out. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally I lost, you know, lost enough sharks where it's like, all right, I need to figure out how to do, how to really do this. And it just takes a little bit of research to figure that one out, um, and talk to the right guys at the right bait shops. And, you know, all the bait shops down there were super willing to help and, you know, walk me th- through the process of, you know, the Minnesota boy never being to Florida ever and going down and figuring it out and fishing basically every day, um, in four months. So. 
Yeah. That's awesome. So how, yeah. how'd Honey handle the travel? Uh, Honey handled the travel fine, but she hated the heat. Absolutely <laughs> hated it. Um, she just got worn down too fast. So, you know, she'd go out for a few hours in the morning, you know, if I had a half day and then I'd leave her in the rest of the day. But if we were on a long day, um, you know, like right when we left in April, you know, it was high 80 degrees and humid. I would just leave her at home just cause she did, she couldn't handle it. She'd get off the water and she'd go straight into her kennel and fall asleep until morning, you know, and it was just, wasn't fair to have a dog on board and having her, you know, go through that every day. So yeah. she kind of got to hang out inside a little bit, but she's more than excited to be back in the boat and hanging out with everyone now. Good deal, man. So you've been doing some, some filming as of recently, right? Yeah. Um, filming for myself, a couple TV shows I've been doing. Um, yeah, we've got a lot of stuff, um, in the files backed up right now. And I've been trying to do a video a week for basically, gosh, since February, I've been trying to do a video a week if I could keep up on it. And that's just trying to keep up on it. We have the content. We just got to keep up editing and take the time to sit down and edit and go through everything. Do you have any saltwater videos? Uh, I do. Um, I don't know how many of them I will release. I know I'll release something. Um, we got a ton of really good drone stuff. Um, I sat down for a handful of days uh, with my camera um, and just sat there and filmed, you know, snook jumping out of the water and B-roll type stuff. So I'll definitely have a bunch of that probably come October, November this year. Um, I'm just going to keep that in the vault until it's, you know, time to start marketing for that. So there's no need to put it out now because it's not going to help me current, you know. So if I keep putting smallmouth and musky stuff out from last year and put it out this year, you know, that's what I'm really looking to do. And then at the end of the season, right when I'm starting to book trips for Florida, I'll start putting that stuff out. Yeah, man. So you are smallmouth, currently smallmouth fishing now. Correct. We started last Saturday. So what is your, your game plan? What's your program now? What are you doing this time of year for smallmouth? Uh, smallmouth, um, this has kind of been a weird year where we've had incredibly low water. Like last year was the first year we had super low water in about five years where it was like super low, like summertime lows. This year it's even lower than it was last year. So um, the fish have been definitely on a smaller presentation. We've been running a lot of Ned rigs, a lot of hair jigs, a lot of small crayfish flies, small minnow flies. Um, the water is in the high 60s right now. Uh, so they're done spawning for the most part. And we're trying to work into our summer phase here. We're getting close where they've started, you know, they've moved off their spawning spots and they're getting close to their summer spots. So we're kind of in a transition mode right now, but um, the big girls have been on the feed, man, and we've been catching an incredible amount of fish. We've had, since the opener, we've had a pattern dialed down like to a T where we're getting, uh, let's see, the last few days we've been getting, yesterday was over 50 fish, day before was 40 plus fish, day before that was 50 plus fish. Um, you know, so we've been getting that 40 to 50 fish range and then we've been getting at least 15 fish over 20 inches. Um, yesterday we had, gosh, we had 26 or 27 fish over 20 inches. I mean, the age class we have right now is absolutely, truly incredible. How many fish we have from 20 and a quarter and 20 to three quarters. Like it's incredible like that, you know, 10 years ago spawn period or 10 plus years, that year class has grown up and they are freaking giant. It is incredible to see the age class. So 
um, yeah, it's going to be, be, be a phenomenal year, uh, just in general for, you know, big fish wise and numbers. If, as long as we can keep good river levels, um, it can definitely come up a little bit from where it is now, just because it is getting super low to the point where it's getting a little sketchy running the jet boat around in certain areas, but it also puts the fish in very specific places, just like high water. You know, those fish go up, you know, in very specific places in high water. Low water does the same thing. And when it's low and clear, you get to see a lot of big fish eat, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, man, that sounds outstanding. Absolutely. So, so you have a jet boat and you have a contender. What, what's your fleet looking like? Uh, so I have a 1756 jet boat. It's a center console with a 9060 on the back. And then I have the 22-foot Pathfinder for the lakes around here and in Florida. So did you get rid of that inboard jet? I did. I got rid of it not last year, but the year before. Um, It was a great boat, but the problem was when I had motor problems, nobody up here could work on it fast. It was always a three-, four-week deal where it's like we can get to it, but it's not first on our priority because it's a hard motor to dig into. Um, and people just didn't know about it down here, you know, down in the South, there's guys all over that can fix those inboard jets, but you know, our local dealers just had no clue what to do with that, you know, inboard jet. And so I had a boat sitting there for three weeks, not being used and not working. Well, that creates a huge problem of me having to borrow boats and rent different boats. And, you know, it was a wonderful boat, but it just didn't make sense if nobody can work on it and we were having problems getting parts. So I went with an outboard boat, you know, again, kind of, oh gosh, what was it? Three years ago, four years ago, I had a boat super similar to this. Um, so I kind of ended back with my, how I built my first jet boat, just a little bit bigger than that. So love this one so far. So this is my second year running it. I ran it last year and I'll run it this year. Um, and I'll hopefully run it next year too. And the Pathfinder you're using on your lakes? Yep, correct. So we got Mille we got Gull, we got a bunch of awesome 1,000 to 2,000 acre lakes around here that we throw that thing on for smallmouth muskies, largemouth, um, and if you can talk me into walleye fishing for a night too. <laughs> what, what's it take to talk you into walleye fishing for a night? Oh gosh, that's a great <laughs> question. I don't have that answer because nobody's been able to do it yet. <laughs> guaranteed easy bite that's not lindy rigging or slip bobbering probably that like a um a swim bait bite or a snap jigging bite you can probably talk me into that um something active sitting there with a bobber and a lindy rig oh my word i'd shoot myself in the foot doing that yeah can't stand doing it might as well go uh deep sea snapper fishing right yep exactly that's exactly how i feel with that one i need you know i'm definitely a more aggressive fisherman than you know just sitting there finesse fishermen so it's definitely a go 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 pace for me um and in my boat we're always getting after it running spot to spot hitting a plus spots and sitting there running lindy rig running slow oh man that's a tough one for me yeah i'm I'm with you on that one so uh going forward with the season what what's a smallmouth gonna look like in the next month or two yeah, so top water season will probably start here in probably two weeks, I would guess. That first part of June, and then top water, jerk baits, fast moving baits, top water, blockhead poppers, um, big streamers, stuff like that, uh, all the way till the end of August. And we'll run like crayfish patterns and jigs and stuff like that when it gets tough. 
And then, you know, once muskies here, you kind of, I have a mixed bag of trips where, you know, I'll do two smallmouth trips one week and I'll do, you know, six musky trips that week. And then the next week it's all smallmouth trips then it's all musky trips. So it's kind of a cool mix of going on the river and on the lakes um, between smallmouth and muskies. So um, yeah, it all just kind of depends on water levels. And, you know, what's cool about, you know, the Brainerd Lakes area where I base home base out of is if the river does flood, we have some phenomenal smallmouth lakes where they still sit shallow, where we can catch them on gear and we can catch them on flies. So there's always water to fish here. So, you know, instead of, you know, planning on your coming to Brainerd area and all of a sudden it floods and we have to drive to the St. Croix and then you have to change all your plans. We don't have to do that. There's plenty of water to fish, you know, within 45 minutes to an hour of Brainerd where it's a phenomenal home base for that smallmouth stuff. Sure, you see a lot of, you know, smallmouth during the musky fishing. You see musky during, you know, smallmouth fishing a lot as well? Yep, absolutely. You know, this is like the muskies probably just wrapped up spawning right now. Uh, they were probably doing their dance last week and the last two weeks. Um, so we're probably wrapping up and we'll start seeing some of the males start biting the smallmouth flies here probably this week or the week after. And then, you know, while we're musky fishing too, there's always uh, big, you know, smallmouth that are in that 20 plus class that are eating, you know, 12 to 15 inch, you know, musky flies and bucktails and topwaters and all that too. So it's always fun to get that bycatch and, you know, that bonus fish while you're doing something else. Um, and then especially when we have low water, kind of like we did last year, when you're smallmouth fishing, we're getting muskies chase those smallmouth all the time, which is so fun to watch. Um, and of course you don't want that, you know, smallmouth to die and, you know, to get eaten, you know, in your hands, but that's a circle of life too, where, you know, those muskies are opportunists and when something's struggling and fighting, well, they're going to come up and eat that thing. That's for sure. Have you had them take them right off your line? Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh, <laughs> like right next to the boat too, <laughs> five <laughs> feet away. So it happened a few times last year. Um, it hadn't happened in a few years cause we had a couple really high years, but when you get that low water, you start to catch everything. You're catching catfish, you're catching suckers, you're catching smallmouth walleyes, you're catching everything in these pockets because they can't go anywhere else. They're all stuck in one spot. So all of a sudden you throw, you know, a couple muskies in a pool, couple, you know, handful of catfish, bunch of smallmouth and walleye, everything starts chasing each other, um, you know, in those pockets. So it's really cool to see those, you know, that come out and, you know, those fish come out and chase, you know, small mouth and walleyes and whatnot. That is cool. So recently, have you found yourself doing more gear trips than you have in the past or are you doing? Yeah, I've been actually running a lot more gear trips than I have fly trips, especially last year. And even the year before, um, the Brainerd Lakes area just has a two big tourism, um, that are coming in, you know, to Gull Lake and Whitefish Chain. And there's always something going on in town here. So you get people coming over from all over. Or like we got um, the Cuyuna Trail up in Crosby. You know, there's plenty of people coming up and doing a bunch of mountain biking there. So you get a bunch of people coming in that, you know, just want to experience the area and do a bunch of fishing. So I ran a bunch of gear trips as well as, you know, fly trips. And that's what, you know, I'm not, I'm not a purist at all where it's, you know, we're just catching fish on fly rods or just catching fish on spinning rods you know there's always a fly rod and always a gear rod in my boat where you know what was it two days ago i had a gear guy and i had a fly guy in the boat and that's no problem to do you know we got everything in the boat we're skilled at doing all that and yeah you know i don't have too much of a preference you can always catch more fish on gear rod that's for sure um but um it's always fun to catch them on the fly rod too 
Yeah, man. The only purist I, I think about is uh, you just want to go out and catch fish. Don't care how you do uh, it, right? Correct. Yeah. I don't have a sin about either one of them. You do it your way. Um, if you want to fish a single barbel fly, well, great. You go right ahead and fish a single barbless fly if that makes you feel better. If you want to throw a treble hook on a smallmouth fly, go right ahead. If you just want to catch fish, if you want to catch as many fish, well, here's some live bait. Catch as many smallmouth as you want. Um, it's all about what you want. You know, you can make it as easy, as hard as you want. At the end of the day, it's just fishing and it's, you know, we're all out there trying to have a good time and have fun. So don't make it complicated with a bunch of rules or, you know, wanting to be pierced. But if you want to be pierced, go right ahead. I'm not going to snark at you, but I'm also not going to, you know, look down on you either, or, you know, look up to you because you caught a fish on a barbel fly either. So. Or abide by your rules. Yep, exactly. Correct. So, uh, <laughs> Are you throwing a cast net up there in Minnesota for uh, for uh, bait for smallmouth? Oh, I wish <laughs> I could. The Minnesota DNR has ruled that illegal in Minnesota. Really? Um, why yep, is that? Correct. That is a great question on why. I would love to have someone here. give me a real oh. answer of why that's illegal to do. Um, the only thing I can come up with is, you know, you throw a cast net on some shiners um, or some creek chubs or big suckers or something like that. Well, you have a chance of catching a smallmouth. You uh, have a chance of catching bluegills, small baby bluegills and crappies. I get it. I understand it. Um, but they can also be just thrown back after you pull it into the cast net. Um, but I don't know. Uh, we run minnow traps up here and crayfish traps. Um, and that does pretty well, but not as well as the cast nets um, of what it could be if I threw them around. So I wish I could. Yeah, man. That's, I don't know. That'd be cool. Uh, but Mark and Jay are taking their wives out tomorrow. And I think next week we're all three taking our wives out fishing. And I think minnows Sweet. might be the way to go. Gulp. Nice. Yeah, man. I'm putting gulp on for him. <laughs> good. Always all good of it works. I like a tube. Jigging a tube. Oh, man. Works too. Yep. That's what we were getting them on yesterday. Are you Texas rigging tubes? I'm usually running tube jigs, so I'm running them through the jig um, and out, you know, the main body of it. So you got to retie it each time you put a new tube on. Yeah. Is usually how I like to run that program. Um, or Ned Rigs. Like, I love running Ned Rigs and Hair Jigs. That is probably my number one confidence bait. If you can learn how to finesse fish, like, that is the hardest thing for me. I want to r- grab a crankbait or a spinnerbait, or my favorite is a jerkbait, and just start covering water and catching fish and moving, moving, moving. Um, but if you can teach yourself to slow down, which I still today, I'm trying to teach myself to slow down. Um, but we've gotten really good at it of slowing down and running a jig or a hair jig and slowly moving it like a crayfish or a bug or, you know, a Helger mite or anything like that. You know, on those tough days, you can catch a lot more fish during it. And on the good days, it's a rope show. So it's always fun doing that one. You jigging a red October. (laughs) Yeah, correct. <laughs> Love red Octobers. <laughs> Don't get me started on those. You got a whole freaking box of red October tubes. So when the water's back to normal level and you're not in them poles like that, are you still taking the time to slow down that much or are you kind of moving a lot quicker? Uh, no, I am still s- slowing down. Even in, you know, super high flood level water, you can slow down. You just have to up your size of bait. Um to make more of a presence um, in that. But if you had perfect normal water levels where, you know, fish are in the middle of the river, fish are on the edge of the banks, all that you can, 
you know, throw anything from a four inch jerk bait all the way to a two inch hair jig or a two inch Ned rig. So if you're doing that flywise, then you just run essentially like a floating line with a, a little bit of a longer leader just so you can work it real, real slow. Yep, for sure. Or like I would prefer in e- intermediate line, super slow intermediate line is what I would like to do um, on that and just run it, you know, a crayfish pattern or even like a hair jig fly. Um, I tie a bunch of hair jig flies where you can basically throw that on a fly rod or you can throw it on a gear rod. You know, it's like a, uh, an eighth or a one thirty second size head. And then, you know, you throw a little bit of marabou, a little bit of feathers, a little bit of flash on it. I actually have one in my hand right now. Um, and that works really well. Of Just, you know, you're not touching bottom with that type of fly. You want it basically swimming through the water, almost like a leech or a bug swimming through the water. Um, and they can think it's a helgermite. They can think it's a crayfish. They can think it's a, you know, um, a leech, anything like that, a worm. Um, it's just buggy. It's fishy looking. Um, it pulses through the water. It's got plenty of movement and fish just go crazy for it. They eat it with so much, so much confidence where like they eat it and you set the hook and they go berserk. It is incredible. They thought they just ate a real meal after that. And when you set the hook, they go freaking nuts. <laughs> That's like you take your Love girlfriend it. out and uh, ask her to pay for, for, uh, pay for dinner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that look and that comment after, that's exactly it. <laughs> so um, back when we were talking about being purists, you mentioned putting treble hooks on smallmouth flies. I know you do it for muskie. Do you do that for any smallmouth flies? Uh, I have uh, for a handful of flies. Um, I, you know, the couple older clients that I have that, you know, um, it's tough for them to set the hook. I actually tie a tube jig popper fly. Um, and I'll hang a treble off the back of that, or I'll hang even like a circle hook sometimes off the back of that, um, for guys that just can't move fast enough to get that hook set where it's just, an, you know, you got to give them a little bit of an advantage. Um, and that's everyone's personal preference, you know? So everyone starts with a single regular hook coming off the back. Um, and if they start missing fish, well, it depends on how they're missing fish. Are they just not moving fast enough? Um, or do they just need a, you know, an extra point in there too? Or are the fish just nipping it on the back too? You know, you get days where the fish are nipping the back of that fly in that tube jig where the hook ends up is actually behind the feathers. So if they come up and just nip at it with a single hook, they may miss it. But if you throw a super small treble, you know, your hooking percentage goes ways up, way, way up. Um, and anyone that is, you know, super worried about, you know, fish getting hooked and, you know, getting fish hooked too deep or, um, you know, having two extra points on a fly. Well, you know, if you're that worried about a fish, you should probably just take your hook off and just watch the fish eat the fly and have two seconds of fight and then go find another one. Um, you know, if you're wor- that worried, you know, do that. But we're in my boat, at least and in my mindset. Oh, no, we had technical difficulties. We're going to call Luke right back. Wow. Didn't like that, did it? All right. Hey, we're back. <laughs> that was a little technical difficulty. Luke hung up right. on us after we talked about treble hooks. <laughs> no, I thought I got cut off because I wasn't a purist on the show now, you know, because <laughs> I'm running treble hooks on flies. Um, anyhow, yeah. So if it was, you know, if you have that big of a problem having one or two hook points or it's not barbless on your fly and you're that worried about the fish, 
well, just take your hooks off and just watch them eat and have that much fun. Um, in my boat where it's all about catching fish and having a good time and making memories with, you know, your son or your best friend or, you know, just making memories by yourself and reminiscing about the old days. Um, so I don't know. That's my philosophy. I, you know, I'm a guy and I'm paid to put fish in the boat for my clients. So if it means, you know, adding a treble hook on the back of a fly means adding a treble hook on the back of a fly. I have zero sins against it. But if you want to put a, a single hook, barbless, or if you don't want to put any hooks on it, great. I'm super happy for you. I'm all about them. Keep putting you in front of fish either way. So. Heck yeah, man. Hey, do you take many father sons out? I take a ton of father sons out. That's actually one of my favorite trips is um, bringing kids out, watching kids glow and like let like seeing that light bulb go off and seeing how much fun they have is unbelievably fun. Um, that's actually my first client ever in Alaska. My first guide trip ever was an eight year old kid and his dad. And like that's what like set my, you know, set in stone what I wanted to do for a living and why was watching that young kid catch a bunch of fish and how happy he was and to see the dad lit up and proud of his son. So it's one of the most fun feelings in the world to watch those kids light up and have fun. Um, so yeah, like even, you know, even running bobbers with worms on it for young kids, you know, we had a great smallmouth bite on last year on the lakes where we were running, you know, uh, slip bobber in eight feet of water, six feet down. And they were just having a ball. I mean, it was one after another, and they're giggling, they're laughing, the smallmouth are running all over the place, and the parents are just loving life. So you because know, their kids are having fun. So you're on a, a bait with a slip bobber for smallmouth, but not for walleye. Right, correct. Okay, because it's, <laughs> it's an eight year old kid. Totally different thing. <laughs> different conversation here than walleye. If it's a grown man running a slip bobber, we have problems. But if it's an eight year old kid, I'm all about it because it's a total different conversation. Absolutely. Hey, and, spe- <laughs> and speaking of kids, when you started guiding at 18 in Alaska, you were just a kid. I was just a kid. I was the young punk kid. Everyone still looks at me as the young punk kid. I love it. What What did your parents say when you said, "Hey"? We're a, guess what? I'm going to Alaska and I'm going to be gone all summer. You're not going to see me. You're not going to hear from me. There's bears up there. I might come yeah. back or I might just uh, go into the wild. What? Uh, my mom was very hesitant and very nervous. Um, my dad thought it was the coolest thing in the world that I was going to go do that. He was, you know, nervous too, but my mom had plenty of questions, um, but she knew she just had to let her 18 year old kid go live life too. Um, she couldn't hold her back. You know, I was moving out of the house was moving on to bigger, better things. And I was the oldest and the first, you know, the firstborn. So I was the first kid to move out and, you know, she took it as any mother would with her firstborn, but then I left for five months and she didn't hear from me basically. So it was definitely hard on her, but she was super excited that I was going on this journey and, you know, that experience because like that experience is, you know, absolutely one in a lifetime. Um, I actually do wish I went back for a few more years than just the one year that I did. Um, cause I came back and I started guiding around home right away, but I wish I would have went for two, three more years. And I suggest it to any 18 year old to go up to Alaska, spend their summer there, even before college, or if they don't know what to do in life, go up there and have fun. You get to fish, you get to guide, there's fish everywhere. And you come home with a little bit of money. Um, what it was just an incredible, incredible experience. So I suggest any kid to do that, or even if, you need a little life change and you're, you know, 30 years old, 40 years old or whatever you are. Um, you need a little life change. Well, there's plenty of jobs in Alaska, even if you just want to be, you know, the grunt man around camp. 
um, and then do a bunch of fishing, or if you want to guide, or if you want to be the handyman, whatever it is, um, it's a phenomenal place to go for the season and be up there um, while, you know, the salmon are running. So you've been guiding since you're, you've been 18. Correct. Is this the only job you've ever had? Uh, so I had a bunch of jobs in high school. I worked at a couple tackle shops, um, but I've been guiding since I was 18. Yeah. That's a, that's a hell of a way to live, man. <laughs> I can't complain. I love it. There's some days where it's, you know, it's a little tougher and, you know, everything's breaking and you're having problems. Um, but or you find God, out I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world. I absolutely love my job. I wake up every morning smiling, ready to go, um, and excited to make, you know, new best friends every day with my clients. So, so once you move back from Alaska, how long did it take to establish in, in Minnesota and get kind of your, your business built there? Yeah. So I was, it took me two years to be full-time guiding here. Um, I met some really incredible people up here. Um, while I was guiding some really amazing clients that opened the doors to more and more clients. Um, and I have, you know, like my season is 70% booked up, um, at the end of the season before, which is just repeat clients where, you know, like the last week of clients, you know, a lot of them have been coming out the exact same day, the last four years in a row, um, because they know how great the smallmouth bite is in May and early June. Um, or like my Octobers, my Octobers are booked out a year in advance already. Like my next October for next year is already half booked because, um, the clients that I have know what happens in those time periods. And, um, just to have that repeat business is phenomenal. It's like picking up the last place you were with a good buddy and, you know, you pick up talking about work or, uh, the wife or the kids or fishing experiences, you know? So, um, it took a few years to get established and I'm always having new people come in and out. Um, and that's where, you know, I've gotten to a point where I've had the same repeat clients for a few years where, you know, new people call and I can't take them, but I got a couple guides working for me now and they're starting to establish their own repeat client, which, you know, is just a ton of fun. And then, you know, the repeat clients, well, they start getting more friends that hear about it and want to come out. And like next week, I got a guide coming up to stay with me uh, for a few days. And then we got a big group of guys coming up and we're going to guide for a few days. Um, clients are coming up and so, you know, they'll come over to my place. We'll start a fire. We'll do a bunch of grilling, you know, maybe have a few adult call cocktails in there too. Um, but just a good time. So, you know, it's not just about the fishing. It's about, you know, getting off the water and being able to throw a couple good steaks on the grill too, and sit around the bonfire and bullshit. Um, so it's fun. It's really fun to have those clients to be able to do that with. Do you find yourself doing that with clients? I went out with a guide for the first time. Uh, about a month and a half ago and I was like hey man let's go grab some beers afterwards and he was all for it and it was it was cool but do you find yourself going out with clients and having some beers afterwards yeah absolutely um especially repeat clients that I know um and we've just established that friendship um and you know if a client wants to go out to dinner and you know I don't have problems with a boat or you know a hot date that night or anything going on at home like absolutely let's go hang out and you know and grab some dinner or, you know, light up a bonfire at my place. I have no problem doing that. Um, you know, cause it's not just about me, you know, getting clients in and out, catching fish and going home. It's more about the relationships to me that you build through doing this. Um, you know, and those relationships, who knows where that's, that'll take you someday. I may get a different job offer 20 years from now that a client I've had for 10 years, um, or just met, or they met, you know, through a client or whatever it is, you know, um, that's just, you know, that's part of the industry where you got to know people and, 
um, just have those relationships with clients. And, you know, a client that comes out and has a shitty day, but has a phenomenal steak and a fire afterwards, well, they remember that steak and fire and good conversation. And well, you know what? It was a tough day of fishing. I can only do so much. The weather, you know, is very dependent. The fish are dependent. A lot of variables happen. Um, you know, we're on the water. I try to fish A plus spots all day, every day and do my best. But some days it just doesn't come together. So you got to add those little, you know, um, special touches in there, you know, to try to make a day. And um, if you can just make that happen, you know, they'll come back and they'll have the trip they're looking for. They have a trip of a lifetime and next time it sucks. Well, it's not all about the fishing sometimes, even though, you know, we run treble hooks on flies and we're trying to catch as many fish as possible. Um, you know, it's still all not all about that at the end of the day, too. So do you, do you deal with a lot of local or like I know you said that your area is kind of bumping. You have a lot of like out of town guests that come in. Yep. I have a lot of out, out of town guys like guys down in uh, Missouri. I have a lot of Missouri clients where they love smallmouth fishing down there. Um, they just don't get really big smallmouth there. Um, like we do here. So I get guys from there or out East in that main area. Um, I got a couple really good clients out there. Um, or even just, you know, Chicago area. I got a lot of guys that come out from Chicago where they can drive, you know, spend a day drive and get off work, drive up here and fish the weekend and then drive back home too. Yeah, man. And if someone does have a shitty day, it's not like they didn't listen to this show and you say, and you caught 26 smallmouth over 20 inches yesterday. <laughs> you know? yeah correct you know one of those great guy tips well you should have been here last week exactly it was, it was great last week <laughs> it was fire so, yep on fire so you've so, been you've been doing some filming with the uh the in fisherman that is correct that's been a dream like i think of everyone that's ever watched espn outdoors is to to be on the in fisherman what how did that how'd you get the connection for that yeah. So, um, when I moved to town, I moved up to Brainerd three years ago. Um, and one of the first things on my list, you know, I used to sit down with my grandpa and watch, um, how to catch bass on swim baits with Doug Stangy. I watched that DVD with my grandpa over and over again when I was little. Um, and I got into town and I'm getting ready and he's like, my grandpa told me, well, you should go talk to Doug Stangy. Just say hi to him. <laughs> um, well, I found his email. I wrote him an email he emailed me right back and, uh, you know, I asked him, you know, can we just sit down and I can shake your hand and see what we, what we can do. Right. Um, and so, well, that next week I'm in Doug Stangy's office BSing with him, and he's giving me a tour of the place because they're right here in Brainerd. Their office is here. And so, you know, we're sitting around hanging out. Um, he gave me a tour and then it was like, well, let's try to shoot a muskie show this fall. Let's see how it goes and, you know, figure out if we can do a date. So I put two dates down on the calendar of like, you know, we have to fish these days um, within fishermen if there's a good bite. If not, I'll take the two days off. Um, so what was the first? Yeah, it was uh, November 5th, two years ago. Two years ago? Three years ago. It's not a Three date years that you ago, remember, right? <laughs> um, we did our first shoot, and it was with Doug Stangy, and we were running gear um, in late November, and we ended up poking a 48, 48 and change, and then a 53 and a half on film. Um in like three and a half hours. And then I dropped my phone in the water while releasing that big one. So, um, the two fish is all we needed for the show. So it turned out absolutely perfect. And I went and got a new phone after that. Anyhow, <laughs> I um, think we talked to you right yes. after that. What was that? I said, I think we talked to you right after that. Yeah, you did. Yeah, we did yeah. talk about that one. So that was phenomenal. Um, and then last year we ended up filming three shows. So we filmed, um, in August small moth show 
And I filmed that, um, those three shows last year with Thomas Allen, um, which is one of the new guys that in Fisherman. So we did a small mall show, uh, jerk bait show in August. And then in October, late October, yeah, late October, the fourth week of October, like the last few days um, of October, we did, a, it was supposed to be a two day shoot. We, we basically need three, two to three fish for a shoot for a segment. Um, well, we went out that morning and we ended up getting four fish and losing three others that morning. Um, and wrapping up a show where it was, we had a warm front come in, it got super cold and it warmed up and the fish were just going bonkers crazy. So we poked four fish, um, that first day lost a few others and we basically wrapped up a show and we had the whole next day of like, well, do we want to fish smallmouth? Do we want to go fish a Lake musky show? What do we want to do? Um, and that one was on the river. I forgot to leave, you know, mention that. So, um, we were doing a little bit of casting, a little bit of sucker fishing on that trip. Um, and they're like, well, why don't we come back tomorrow, do the same thing in a different section and just run casting baits and run a whole different show. Um, and well, the next day we poked, what did we poke? We poked four more fish. Yeah. Cause we had eight total. So we poked four more fish and lost five that day. Um, I mean, the bite was just red hot. It was like the couple days you wait for where the fish were basically done feeding for the year and it got super cold water temps were 32 and a half degrees um it was basically done and then it warmed up and the river you know got ice free and like the fish were just bonkers crazy so um that turned out super super good where we got a, a lot of great fish on film two fish right at that 50 inch and then a bunch of fish from 42 to 48 48 inches um and actually i just put one of those episodes out this last week and then I'll have the next one out next week. And the next next week's one um, is really, really cool fish. Like, the, I haven't shaken so hard in probably three, four years of a muskie than what this one did to me. Um, it went around and around. So I was throwing an XL. So whole story is my boat didn't charge the night before, awesome. which was horrible. So I'm running on low battery, we find out, in the first two hours of the day. So batteries dying, my electronics are dying, um, and my trolling motor is slowly dying. Well, we are downriver, and my boat completely dies and will not start to get upriver to end the day. So we're using the trolling motor to slowly get upriver, and we're we're a long ways downriver. So I'm sitting in my chair, slowly putting up river right next to shore. I'm like, you know what? I should be casting right now. Let's try to get one more fish instead of just sitting here. I should be casting. So get into spot and I start pitching and pitching and pitching. And all of a sudden this absolute mega giant freak of a fish. I mean, it's when you guys see the video, it's giant. Um, and so this fish comes in and it acted like it was 80 degree water temps running a bucktail. And I'm do, using a uh, beaver's baits, XL beaver, and I'm pulling it, pause, pull, pause, pull, pause. Um, but this thing came flying in and you couldn't move it fast enough. You ripped it around in a circle as fast as you could, and it sped right up on it. And this is 32-degree water temps. This is supposed to be slow, lethargic fish. And this thing goes around and around and around. And every time I would slow down and, like, hang it to let it, her eat it, she would almost veer off of the figure eight. And every time I sped it up, she'd be right behind on it. It was incredible to watch this fish. Well, after it was, what was it, like a minute and 40 seconds? And she left after a minute, she left. And then for like 15, 20 seconds, she left. And then she came back again. 
Um, and I just kept doing a figure eight. I, she was too hot not to eat. She had to eat. So I just kept doing my figure eight, trying different things. Um, but I just kept my big wide turns, big circles, figure eights, all that. And she got super excited. I noticed right away she got super excited in the far left-hand corner, the top of the left-hand corner, the farthest corner away. Um, so I would turn it super fast in the right-hand corner and hang it in the left-hand corner. And she sped up. She nipped on it four different times, and she finally ate it. Um, and it was an absolute giant. The girth was 25, 26 inches on this fish, super big, giant fish. Um, and it's a fish where if we catch again, we will notice it because it had a screwed up upper lip it's top of its nose went 90 degrees straight up in the air and, and like you could bill. see it in the water and like when we catch that when we do catch that fish again um we will see it and we'll know exactly where that fish came from um so that was a super cool fish i'll put that video out next week and that's definitely one to watch because that fish goes around and around and around it doesn't show it all i'm hoping to get the footage for that and just do a whole video on itself but it was it was a pretty incredible fish. It's super incredible to film with those guys. Um, it's always been a dream to do that and to be able to put those shows together have been great. Um, so we got three shows done last year and then we just did a smallmouth show a few days ago on um, doing the program that I had um, going on this year. So where do people go to check out the uh, the In Fisherman now? I, I remember uh, back in the day it was on ESPN on Saturday mornings. I'd yep. Um, gosh, I don't think it's ESPN. I think they're on the sportsman channel or, um, the outdoor channel or both actually. Um, I believe it's on there. If not all the segments I have done is on my YouTube channel and they as well have a bunch of stuff on their YouTube as well. Cool, man. Any, uh, any plans for saltwater in fisherman with Luke Swanson? Uh, it's conversation. We'll find out this winter. Okay, man. (laughs) We're keeping that (laughs) hush hush. We'll see. (laughs) So, Luke, we'll is there anything we haven't touched on? I mean, we could talk uh, to you for hours. But anything you want to talk about? Good. I guess the only thing, like the thing that stood out about last year is we caught two fish that we had caught in years prior. Okay. Two very distinct fish, um, which were super, super cool. And we found out about a third fish at the end of the year. Um, so it was three years ago. I had a 53 and a half caught on the fly rod. Um if you guys remember that fish, it was a super mega giant that we caught in the first week. Was that with John Cooper? Or, or, what was that? Was that the one with John, uh, John Cooper? Or? Yep. John Cooper caught that one. Exactly. Um, so he caught that fish and that fish was caught within a, uh, 200 yards of where we caught it this last year at 54 and three quarters. Absolutely. So it wow. stayed in the same area. Um, and it grew a, it grew just over an inch in a few years. Absolute mega, mega giant. Um, so that was really cool to see that that fish was still in the same area doing the same thing um, within a month of each other, right? And then um, that same year that John caught that fish, I caught a 48 and a half in uh, the third week of November. Um, and this year I had a seven-year-old kid catch that exact same fish. Um, over 20 miles away up river um, and it was 50 and a half and so that was a two-year difference so in two years it grew that big um, and it traveled over 20 miles so it was really cool to see those fish do two very different things one stuck very close to its home the other one traveled over 20 miles and you know did it travel 20 miles a year ago or over a course of a few years sure maybe Um, but it's super cool to watch those fish 
And now, you know, you have history with those very specific fish where, so, you know, you catch those fish again, you'll see it. Or, you know, if it's got a distinct scar, it's got a distinct marking on it. You know, you can keep track of those fish and just being able to see, you know, you do release that fish. You take care of those fish. You have the proper release tools, a big net to keep them in, you know, in and out of the water fast and let it go that you do get to catch those fish again. You know, that catch and release is a really big thing. And being able to see that, like, it always stood out in my mind that it's a big thing, catch and release. You know, you want to catch those fish again, it's great, you know, all that. But it really shined a light when I actually caught those same fish again years apart. And they're still living. They're still healthy. They're still beautiful. And they're still fishing. You know, they're still swimming in the river for someone else to catch again. So, Luke, I want to talk about that one that you caught 20 miles away from the first place you caught it. Yep. So you catch a, a shitload of muskies, obviously, or they mm-hmm. not you personally, but they get put in your boat and you see a ton of muskies. Yep. And that one you caught two years prior, 20 miles away. What made you think that that was the same fish? So that fish had a very distinct um, bump on its nose. So when I saw it the first time, I actually saw it for over three weeks in the same spot in the same little run. Um, and every time we showed up, if you had a fly that went straight up and down, it would follow right to the boat and be super excited, but never ate. Um, and on the last day of the season, I sat on that fish and fished it four different times until it came out. And every time it came out, you could see like this almost bump, this crown on its nose between its eyes and its nose. It had like a fist sized bump on it. And we got in the boat and we actually nicknamed it the unicorn because it took so many times to catch this fish where it like we finally caught the unicorn and it had this big bump on its head and you could see it in the water. So as soon as that seven year old caught this fish and it went into the net, I'm like, that's a unicorn right there. That's the unicorn. And my, you know, the guys I had, they're like, yeah, that's a really big fish. That's the unicorn. And I go, no, "No, I've caught that fish. That's very, very distinct. Like there's, and you look at the markings, even you, we took the photos, you know, both sides of the fish I took photos of, cause I couldn't remember what side I took, um, photos of that fish specifically two years ago. Um, but we took photos and it had the same markings on the tail, um, same markings on the face. And it was like, yep. Even if it didn't have that nose bump, like that's the exact same fish. Um, and I'm sure we've caught the same fish before where it didn't have super distinct markings or a bump on its nose. Or if it was, you know, 53 inches. Yeah. But, um, you know, so I'm sure we've done it before, but to be able to have those very specific fish where I remember and it stood out of those fish and be able to catch them again was just so cool. Um, And being able to look at those fish and, you know, just checking the markings um, and seeing them be caught again. So when you told them the story of the of the unicorn, how pumped was that seven year old kid? Oh, that kid was on like on cloud nine. He was so excited. Like he had caught a few smaller uh, fish before, like in the you know low forties. Um, and when he hooked this fish, like it whooped him. Like that fish was giant. It was healthy. It was thick, and it ran all over the boat. And it hit the net, and he's jumping up and down. He's so excited. The dad's like, "I've never even caught that one that big. That's the biggest fish I've seen in a long time." You know, so a seven-year-old kid's got a bigger fish than he does. And he is proud as can be that his kid caught that. Awesome. Like, yeah, there was no jealousy (laughs) at all. Like, he was so happy for his kid. And the kid was like, 
okay, can we do that again? Is there a bigger one? I'm like, absolutely. Let's get back at it. But you just did something super special, buddy. Like take it in and enjoy it, you know? So yeah, like he was all excited to go catch another one, but it was like, just like, remember this moment, take it in and enjoy it because it might be a long time before you catch another one that big. You know, that was just a super special fish where, I mean, that fish, like (laughs) the photo of him trying to hold it, like he, he couldn't hold it. It was so heavy. I mean, that was a 35, 40 pound fish all day of how big and healthy it was. So, you know, the dad helped, helped him hold it up and they got a wonderful photo together. And, um, yeah, what a cool fish to have and what a special memory to have with those two. That that's incredible, man. I got goosebumps when you're talking about that kid, how excited he was. <laughs> I know. Like it's a, it's such a cool experience watching those kids, you know, that father, father, son, or mother, son, or mother, daughter, father, daughter, anything like that, making those memories. Like that's memories you'll never forget. Absolutely not. You know, you, the kids can sit in front of the video game or watch a TV, you know, with their dad, but going out and being able to experience, you know, whatever it is it is seeing an eagle on the river or bears or deer or, you know, catching a bunch of fish or catching one really big fish, you know, what great memories you can make with them. So Luke, do you ever take husbands and wives fishing all the time? Yep. Do the husbands get salty when the wives catch more? Uh, It depends on what the dynamic of the relationship is. It's always fun to figure that out during the day. And I always give them a hard time about it, no matter what it is. (laughs) You know, and I can always read it pretty quick. If she's doing really well, I always like pump her up, give her high fives, you know, get her all excited. And you can read the dad super well or, you know, the husband super well to see, like, what is his reaction? And should I like tone it down a little bit? Should I give him a hard time? What do we do? Um, It all depends on the dynamic of what the relationship is between those two. Oh, it's totally the answer. Bust his stones. Uh, Yeah. correct. (laughs) (laughs) And then you always like, I always call him trouble. Like all the girls in the boat, you know, the wives, they're trouble because they're either catching too many fish and, you know, making him upset usually or proud or whatever it is. Or they're not catching enough, and it's like, well, hey, you got to catch some fish, trouble. Come on, let's go. You know, so you got to relate to them somehow and call them trouble, and you know, get them excited and working for it. So, so back in your when you uh, or when you take husbands and wives fly fishing, do you ever have wives that the husband just can't teach to cast a fly rod, and you teach them how? Hundred percent. That happens all the time. Okay. Um, it happens, it happens more with like fathers and sons where like sons can only listen to their dad so much and they start to tune it out. Um, and then you add a third party in it and a different view, a different perspective, more encouragement Then it's just like, this is how it is. Um, and trying different ways. Cause you know, there's, you know, how many ways to cast a fly rod and they're all right. As long as you're getting the fly out there, some, you know, some want big tailing loops, some want a tight loop, some want to flop it on the water all the time. Um, but, you know, depending on what you want, you know, or how you work or, you know, what clicks. Um, and I always try to find something that they can relate to. What sport did you play? Did you play music? What did you do that I can relate it to? Um, anyone that has ever played music or is musically inclined that can get a tempo, super easy to learn how to fly fish. Um, or, you know, any type of sport where you can relate it to, then it clicks and you can help them do it that way, too. Yeah, I, I think I need to book a trip to Minnesota. Yeah, I, can't, I cannot keep or teach my wife. Up here. I can't teach my wife to cast a fly rod to save my life. 
<laughs> well, let's see for a little bit. Hopefully, you know, I have a pretty good batting average of helping people and figure it out. But, you know, there's always there's always a first at some time, it seems like, right? That's right. Do you ever <laughs> do you teach people to water load for uh for smallmouth? And water uh, water loading's been a big topic on the internet this this winter. <laughs> yes, it has. Um that's last resort. If they really can't get it and really want to stick with a fly rod, absolutely. Um, if you want to water load, great. You should water load. I, for musky fishing, I can argue with anyone underneath the sun. If you want to be pierced and keep your fly out of the water, well, great. Then you probably shouldn't be spay fishing and spay fishing is one of the most pierced things out there. Um, and water loading is the same thing. You're loading the line with the water just as spay fishing is. So, um, the game is definitely changing. Um, there's actually a video that I made, um, that talks all about that and it's called the game is changing. Um, but anyhow, the game is changing where like there is easier ways. There's more effective ways. There's faster ways to do it than what we have been taught the last 50 years of fly fishing. Um, and if a client really wants to catch a fish on a fly rod and they can't physically do it, well, water loading is a fantastic way of doing it because it's easy, it's light and it's effective. Um, and it's fast. Uh, so smallmouth fishing, you know, it's fun to cast the fly rod, but you have to be able, you know, to get that fundamentals down. And if you can't, then you have to flop it back and forth. Okay, great. You have to flop it back, back and forth. But if you're having fun, why are you taking the fun out of it by making this peers BS bullshit stuff, right? It's supposed to be fun. If that's how you want to do it, great. Do it that way. If you want to cast a single, like I talked about earlier, that single hook, you know, barbless flight. Well, great. If that makes you feel great. Awesome. If you want to water load and you're more effective and you get two more, you know, eats in a day, well, bravo to you. I'm going to give you a high five at the end of the day, whatever it is. Um, but no, the water loading is definitely more for the musky side of things. Um, everyone, unless you sp specifically say you want to fly cast for muskies and not water load, you are water loading in my boat. That's for sure. Um, just because it's faster, it's more effective. Um, and the fish we have in this water, a 12 weight does not handle those fish. You get whooped by a four footer in, in the water that I fish and you have shots at a 55 inch fish all day um, in my water that I fish and a shot at a 50 incher is a really good chance. And a 12 weight, 12 weight fly rod just doesn't cut it. So we're running, you know, custom 14 and 15 weight rods. Um, that are actually incredibly light, but it's a two-handed rod that you cast with two hands and you can outcast and in a timely manner outfish, you know, a 12 weight throwing a 15 inch fly, throwing a 12, 12 weight with a 15 inch fly, your shoulder is going to get blown out after three days of fishing. You're just going to be sore and hurting. So throwing that big of a bug that many times and that much, um, just big rods and water loading. And that's, that's just personal preference. And now I'm biased after doing it so many times and being so effective um, and catching so many fish doing it and so much positive feedback that I've gotten from people um, from doing that. Now it's just ingrained in me, just like, you know, the guys that have been doing, you know, fly fishing for 30 years and look at water loading and give me shit for doing it. Absolutely. Well, that's what, you know, that's all, you know, um, that, and this is all I know now, you know, um, it's just different. The game is changing. Um, it's going to continue to change. The rods are changing. The flies are changing. Um, everything's changing. And even in 10 years, 
um, if you guys are still doing this in five, 10 years, you know, we'll have this conversation and I'll probably have a different tune and it'll probably be something different. Um, because we're always looking for the next best rod, the next best fly, the next best way of catching it. Um, you're probably the same opinion as Dustin saying water loading's gay, right? Oh gosh, <laughs> Dustin, watch it. <laughs> Correct. No, I love Dustin. We went back yeah. and forth all winter about that, um, <laughs> and we've had plenty of conversation off like public social media about it. And we're like, we're on the same page and we love just digging each other on it. So much fun. Oh, absolutely, man. That's what, that's the only reason I brought this up for good, good, solid ribbing. Yeah, correct. So, you know, right. Dustin has right. some secrets and he can be on, you know, the non water loading 10 weight side all he wants, but he's got secrets over there that he doesn't like talking about that you know, contradicts his stuff. So I can say that. And if you want to bring it up to him, I highly recommend to text him or call him. Oh, um, you know what? And, he's going to hear find this. that out. i hope he does um yeah and hopefully he can come up with a good meme and you know hopefully he changes his mind you know but you know for now he's on the dark side still or maybe i'm on the dark side and he's on the right side i don't know anyhow so do you have issues with guys that have casted a fly rod for 30 years and then they come into your boat and you say hey we're gonna water load today do you have issues breaking their their double haul habits and Tell them, um, tell them to lay it yeah. down behind. So you got, it's just like anything. You got the guys that are stubborn, old, and in their ways, right? This is how it is. It's not changing. They're not open to new things. Those guys, you can't change it. You can't even have a conversation. They won't even pick it up. The guys that are interested and are willing to give me an hour of trying it, <laughs> after an hour of throwing a 16-inch fly with a 9.5-foot, 15-weight water loading, they will prefer that over a 12 weight casting that with a 10 inch fly all day. They would rather water load after that. If you give me a solid hour of practice and trying it, 90% of people will tell me that they would rather do it that way because it's easy. It's effective. You get more casting in a day and you're not hurting at the end of the day. The best story that I have is two little old ladies from Arizona. They were up here for a wedding. We went over, we were fly fishing for muskies and I handed them. It was just when I was starting to get into the two handed game. This was a few years ago when I was trying to find the right rod. I gave them a 12 weight and a 10 inch fly. Well, in two hours, they're extremely tired. And I'm like, well, you know what? Let's try this. Give me a half hour of this. And if it doesn't work, we can end the trip. Well, we started with a half hour. They're casting it also in their bomb and 60 foot cast. And they think it's the easiest thing in the world. One of them sat down throwing it all day. And guess what? She was the one that caught the muskie. <laughs> but if it wasn't for those rods and continuing to cast, I mean, there was, it was 78 and 82 year olds, um, two little old ladies. They were just a ball to talk to all day. They had great stories. Um, but anyhow, they, they threw that rod all day and we continued and we finished the whole day out. We fished six more hours and they weren't sore and tired. Like they were after two hours of throwing a 10 weight with a 12 inch bug. Um, and it's just, it's opened eyes for everyone that's thrown it and it just makes sense to me. So, um, if you love throwing a fly rod and you're into just casting and you enjoy casting it, well, downsize your bug and you can be sore at the you know, a little bit sore at the end of the day. If you're there to catch a muskie and you want to put a muskie in the boat, upsize your fly, upsize your rod, do it easier, more effective water load and catch fish. That's a great story, but I want to know about these old ladies. Yes. <laughs> So how did 
78 or uh, what 78 and 82 year old old ladies find cute little Luke Swanson <laughs> to go musky fishing on, uh, on a wedding trip. Yeah. Uh, they found me through my website um, and they wanted like they had trout fish their fly fishermen or fly fishing women down in Arizona. They've caught a ton of trout and they wanted to catch whatever they could in Minnesota. Well, it was end of September. Well, it's primetime musky season. Um, so they found me on my website and it was just fun. Are you kidding me? I was, what was I, 19 years old at that time? Oh, Jesus so I Christ. got these cute little old ladies. <laughs> what does what a 19-year-old do? Of course, I'm flirting them up the whole day, making them feel good, having fun with it. And they're giggling. They're laughing. I'm laughing. It was just a good time. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So That, that would be the no, most fun. fun trip. Chad so, also loves older women. I love older women. Yes, they're a blast. <laughs> Hey, grab me one while you're up, Jeff. Uh, so, Luke, where where can people go and check you out? And uh, where can little old did this? Where can little old ladies go and uh, book a trip with you? He's gone. We lost him again. God damn it! Bye. So you definitely hung up on us that time, Luke. I don't know about that one. <laughs> so I was just getting ready to get some plugs out of you, bud. Where where can uh, people go and book a trip? Yeah, absolutely. Best place to find me. Um, you can find me on my website at livinthedreamguideservice.com. Uh, I got uh, all the social media, Facebook, Instagram. I'm posting daily stories on there. Um, we always got reports going up on the social media stuff. So check me out there as well as open dates when they do come available um, as well as YouTube channel. I'm trying to put out a video a week or every other week. That's for sure. Um, if it's smallmouth muskies um, and saltwater stuff coming later in the year. So uh, when you look me up, it's living with no G. So living the dream guide service. And it's got all my contact information on there. So you can message me, email me or call me or text. Hell yeah, man. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun, Luke. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on guys. It's always a pleasure. And hopefully we can catch you up once I'm in the saltwater role of things next spring. Absolutely, man. We'll, uh, we'll definitely keep in touch, bro. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Yep. Later. boys that was fun man i totally enjoy talking to luke every time he comes on he's gonna be a solid staple on the show he's so much fun oh, yes almost as fun as that yeah man dude i remember listening to this song in seventh grade i think that's when this came out this was a fat boy slim's first album oh uh, yeah better living through chemistry these albums never got any better did they what are you talking about Fat boy some socks. Oh, haters gonna hate. Hard. Oh, put on, put on that Tay Tay, man. Hard. 
<laughs> yeah. I like some of it. He's like, I, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Was it Depeche Mode or Depeche? Have you pronounced that? Depeche Mode? Yeah. It's just like, he's a lot like that. Like, very uh, meh. I don't know. This is like happy techno. Going out of my I think head. he had like the songs. He had there's a the well, one Rockefeller song. Scan. Yeah, there was a there's a few songs that I I, I dug. So fun. so what you're saying is we're listening to Fat Boy Slim the rest of the show. <laughs> <laughs> They've played enough of this crap on the radio. No, I was talking about that the other day. Speaking of, do they still make or is anybody still making like true rock and roll? Is it out there anymore? I don't know. I oh. I couldn't tell you last time I listened to rock and roll. I mean, the only one that like I can personally think of that I know still making music, and granted, it's the garbage now. No, Foo Fighters are still yeah. Grant, yeah, theirs is good because like all the older bands are coming back, like Seven Dust, Mudvayne's going to um, go out and do a couple shows again. Are they? So all them old bands are um, like Kings of Leon. They are still making music, but it's horrible compared to what it initially was. Are they it rock never and roll? Was good though. The the again. first the first two albums again. Okay. They had some stuff there that was that was pretty solid. A song and it or was, two. It was more rock. Now, they have a guitar. No. Yeah, now, <laughs> no. I would say no, like in that genre. There's really not. No. It's I, crap. Well, I've, I've Not noticed, that any music that's been made in the last probably five, six years has been half decent. I've been noticing a lot of a lot of bands coming out with albums that like uh I uh Rancid. Rancid just came out with a new album. It wasn't too bad. I like it. Uh, I like punk music though, so I like and I like them, so I I dug it. We listened to it when it came out. Um, we listen to Spotify every day at work. So, like when the new album comes out from somebody that we listen to now and again, it'll inform you that they just came out with a new album. Green Day just dropped another album. It's actually not as bad as what it had been, I think, for a little while, because they had kind of went off the... They'd, and it wasn't as good as... Yeah. Nothing's ever as good as the original stuff. Rarely does a band just get better and better and age and, you know, get better with age. Usually it's drugs. Once they stop doing drugs, their music sucks. Yeah, I mean, it's with... You know, who knows? You're right. Once, once, they're, once, once they use, lose their young angst. Look at the Chili Peppers. Well, it's, they don't have any As soon as the angst. Chili Peppers quit doing drugs, it was horrible. It was when they start making money. You know, you lose the angst. You lose the, you know, that you're not doing it for what you were doing it stained. originally. There's a no better example than Stained. First album was incredible. Everything after that, you can flush down a toilet ten times over a hundred. I will say Stained's first hit was incredible. And no, then I like that, their album. that whole that album, album was, was good. good. Mud like Shovel front to back <clears throat> was good. That was a good song. Mud Shovel was the best song that they sure, ever did. Sure, sure. Yeah, that whole album was very good. I liked the it. Rest though, mm. they were they were pretty musically uh, talented as well. Their drummer was pretty fucking good. I remember that. So you did some fishing this week, didn't you, Mark? A little bit. Mm, nothing is so this This weather's just when we talked about it already, but it's starting to torch our season. Yeah. Uh, Thursday night, I stuck a fish at quarter to five 88 degrees it's like last thing i expected not nothing great i mean little fish but still i was kind of surprised to stick a fish then saturday was kind of the same deal we went out and just absolute heat right off the bat and just warm crap moved a couple gargantuan smallmouth big fish both of them were in the 20 plus inch range uh, and just 
we fished till early afternoon. I uh, fished with Michael. He had to get rolling, so we got off there. Nothing special. Packed the boat up. Went back out again today. Same deal. Got some smallmouth, but musky wise was just non-existent. Sat and beat it up, but even I mean the river was seventy degrees. That's bad for this time of May, or this time of the year. I mean, for especially for in May. But to go out there now, it's seventy degrees. Oh yeah, even it's, even seeing a lot of a uh, few other people, you know, uh, friends of ours on social media, temping even some of the trout streams that they're in. Mm-hmm. They're up here, upper 60, 70, 72 yeah. degrees. I saw today on a uh, dry fly stream of one of our friends. Uh, man, that that doesn't bode well for you know getting a little bit of extra fishing into the June for us, or you know pushing into some you know some years we get to fish all through the summer. Yep, no, no this is going to shut it down quick this year. So it kind of jacked with the muskies. It threw them in some different directions. I mean, they were I, – I was able to mark some fish and get on them, but just really couldn't get them to move or get them to do anything. And uh, just – soon they just came off spawn, and then they just got hit with this heat, so you know that that's kind of hard on them. Not that they spawn here, but they still go through the motions, and they still do the workout, and they're still, you know, pushing, pushing everything out of them and working hard and beating each other up. So they come right out of that, worn down, and then you throw this heat on top of them. That's not good. Speaking of the spawn, uh, my son's been playing baseball, and one of the, the moms was like, Chad, we uh, we took the kids out bluegill fishing the other day, and they were sitting on these beds, and they were catching bluegills, and one of them peed on me. I said, Brand, that wasn't pee. She's like, what do you mean? I said, those beds mean they're you know they're in bed, babe. You know, they're they're doing the the darn thing, <laughs> and that that dude was ready to go, and you squeezed him. <laughs> That's like squeezing Johnny's belly. He's he's ready to go. Oh, she's like Jesus, you put it that way. <laughs> she's like, oh my god, I can't believe I asked you if that was pee. <laughs> We did some, we did some fishing, oh, Chad. Great. We did some fishing last weekend after we had an argument on a podcast. Fuck we you. Actually, we actually did. <laughs> we actually, Chad still woke up the next day, or no, it was two days. Two days after that, after the uh, the argument, uh, the argument heard around the internet. Yeah. So, what was know, the argument about? Don't I, remember. I, I, I don't know. I, was I don't know. Fucking drunk. <laughs> the. Uh, Fireball whiskey was when it was over. <laughs> but, so you have no idea what you guys argued about. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, Jace could probably tell you. But, uh, <laughs> the tra- you know, going to the trout stream, I went the week before. We got some really nice high water a couple days, and it was gonna it seemed like it was going to be pretty good and on point. And again, you get a limited amount of time at that place. If it's going to be – if you get the high water, you can go there, and you can move some fish, especially in the springtime. There are fish pushing in from other places, and, you know, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, you get some nice small mouth mixed in with some decent trout, stock trout, blah, blah. So Chad and I were going to go out the next day. And, we, we again, we talked. I think that's what it, the, the argument was over, not small mouth fishing and trout fishing. But uh, That's fine. I caught what I wanted to. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and our, our friends that came out with us, they're a couple of troutier dudes. They have... They have check nymphing rod setups. I don't own one of those. Okay, I'm not a wait, girl wait, trout wait, fisherman. Wait, wait, wait. 
they had. <laughs> one of them had. The other one still has. <laughs> I, bro- I broke Aaron Chine's rod. I'm sorry, Aaron. We talked about it on the thing. He he uh, he was a real champ about it though. He just broke the rod off at the that eye, the next eye down, and kept using it and kept catching fish on it. So, just that's somebody who's a a, a real fisherman. You know, he's out there. No, this is working. I, I'm gonna make this work and. I was just trying to help out. I think the anchor got stuck a little bit. My dad was trying to pull it, couldn't get it. So I, I pulled it, and it kind of moved the boat. I needed, you know, those nymphing rods are usually not nine foot. I think it was a 10-foot rod, and it was sticking out of the back end of the rod holder a little bit, like has happened, I think, three times in my raft over the four or five years I've had it, whatever it be now. And I snapped it right there. So I told him, check nymphing, stupid. Fuck this rod. No, no not really, but. I don't do that. I'm not. But it was fun to watch those guys do it. They were they were kicking the shit out of the fish. Like they were hooking and catching a lot, a lot, a lot of fish. So and it's a, an effective way, apparently, to do it. I can't, I don't do it though. So Mark, listen to this. PJ brought this up on the way home because PJ rode with me. He said, "I remember the first time Jason invited me to go fishing in his raft." Is that how PJ sounds? That's exactly how PJ sounds. <laughs> okay. He said, "He told me not even to bring a nymph rod on the boat." <laughs> Then that motherfucker was fishing the nymph rod in the boat today. Yeah, it caught a it caught a nice palomino <laughs> on a nymph rod, man. In the boat. In the boat. <laughs> in the boat. Hey, you know what? Next thing you know, you'll be mono rigging. No, I won't. I will never do that. Mm-hmm. that never, never say never, Jason. I think there's a time and a place for check nymphing. Yes. And in my it's opinion, it's called college. No. <laughs> and in my opinion, it is making sure that the smallmouth are tucked right up into the riffles eating Helger mites. And other than that, no, it goes right in the knee dumpster. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I mean, no, I'm not going to be started on it, but it's just, yeah, you know, like we say, everybody says fishing's fishing. And then I say, yeah, well, ask for Slipknot and you get Eric Church. Music's not music, so fishing's not fishing. Well, it's all fishing at the end of the day. Yeah. No, it's not. If we did that, we wouldn't pick up a fly rod. If it was fishing, we wouldn't pick up a streamer. If it was just that, you wouldn't go pick up a gear rod. You know, everybody has their their thing. Here's my thing about the mono rig, and what I I honestly don't understand. And and people can correct me or say whatever they want. You know, at that rate or at that point, why don't you just pick up a, a regular rod and reel and use it? Why are we go putting, spend seven dollars on a Rapala? Why don't? Well, no. What well, I mean, like you can, yeah, you really. can, you can do the same shit with the noodle rod, or any kind of long, like a crappie rod, and just run and run that same tight line setup. What's the difference? Like, I mean, why does it have like, to be on a fly rod? Like, do you, does it make you feel more special because it was on a fly rod, or like what? In the, does, it, does it cast better? Do they have better action? I mean, I don't know, but I would never set a, mon- a whole mono rig up. Like, I understand the check nymphing thing. I, I get the check nymphing thing, too. And the thing with it is it's at effective. that point, it, it is. It's effective, but it, it's not fishing anymore. It's catching. Oh, Because that's all you're sure. doing is motoring fish, and every time someone's out there check nymphing, all it is is numbers, 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 numbers. It, it, because at that point, all they're doing is trying to catch as many fish as they can. It's not fishing. It's catching. Because let's be honest, we've all done it. It's so easy. There's nothing hard about it. You are running a freaking fly into a fish's face. He opens his mouth up. The fish sits down there. He feeds you, run into his face, and he eats it. And then everybody that does it that we know, we all bust their stones. So it's not like we're just all of a sudden calling it out on here. 
it yeah. is, it, and it's, and if, if that if that's what you're into, that's go go for it. Yeah, have fun. But as long as you're having fun. On. But I mean, yeah. I mean, in, in the words of Luke Swanson, as long as you're catching fish and having fun. Okay. I like I like it because it, it, it'll, just it, it will Some show people you. People just want to catch fish, and if you just want to catch fish, that's a perfect way to catch. It fish. will show you where all the fish are at. Absolutely, like you will learn, you will know, and I like that about it. You know, it was fun seeing, you know, man, like I rip a streamer through there, or do this through there, or do that through there, man. And then they go sit and mow eight yeah, fish. Yeah, you're out like, of it. man, okay, those fish were down there. It's just something that you know they weren't. It wasn't either a brown trout. It wasn't a good sized brown trout that wanted that meal, or you know, it was just you know what a bee or however it worked out. Dad stripped streamers all day. He ended up getting two nice, nice browns. He got one that was probably close to 20, if not. The first right one around. was probably 17. Yeah. Second one was probably closer to up, up like that, that size, 19, 20, something like that, yes. I would say. We didn't, tape. 20. we didn't tape either no. of them. Two, two consecutive casts uh, with a Kelly Gallup fly. I think it was Peanut Envy. Peanut Envy. Yes. Oh, yeah. You know, I... I was throwing, he was throwing a different fly a little earlier in the float, and he's like, I, I don't know, Jay, I don't know. And I'm like, all right, let me switch this up. He, he doesn't like throwing scalping helmets, just cumbersome. Nobody does. No, there's cumbersome <laughs> to throw. They're tough unless you're, and but they're effective in certain situation. So I, I just, I thought, I thought that fly would get down fine. Gave him a nice long leader through a couple split even above it uh, on a floating line. And... Get it out there, mend a couple times. You could you can manipulate your fly line a little better, even with the floating line. I feel like than having, you know, your sink tip on. Depending on the fly, you throw a D and D, you gotta put the sink tip on. But I like that. I like throwing a little bit of weight, floating line, longer leader. It's, it seems effective to me. You're not dragging, uh, especially in a clear water. It's a little bit clearer that day than the week before. You're not dragging a big black fucking line of wire. You know, your line above their fish's head or through the fish. To fish for them, mm. you know that trout sees that. That 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 line drags over that trout's head. Now it's it's not gonna hit. It's fucking moving. It's not gonna do anything. You know what I mean? It's gonna try to move out of its lane and then get back into its lane. So that's the way I've been fishing lately, especially there. I think it's just more effective for me. It works for me. I mean, other people could do whatever else, and it could work for them. Again, there's so, more than one way to skin a cat. I like that though, because I like to go to mend and do things. Back when COVID started, I bought uh, two flies off Tommy Lynch. I bought two D&Ds off him. And I said, I'm only going to throw these at that place for trout. Because if I go and throw them for smallmouth, I'm going to get bitten off by a pike and blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to do it. So I threw the D&Ds. Caught three smallmouth. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. One of them was nice. It was like a 15-inch smallmouth. That's awesome. But yeah, it was oh, fun. We were going down through and fishing with your, uh, you know, your buddy Matt, yeah. mutual friend. Show got to fish him a few times. On he's a great guy to fish with. Him. A lot of fun. And PJ and I, we fished that place, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot. And it's one hole we know. In the springtime, there's always a smallmouth there. Always a good smallmouth there. He's like, hey, dude, hey, Matt, there's a good smallmouth right back there. Go throw it back there. Throws back there. Bam! On a scalpin, nice little decent scalpin. That was cool, you know, just because we just called it out, you know, and it was like he went past there, boom, put it in there, small mouth was there, and it was a decent little fish. It was probably 14 or so, so it was fun. It was fun getting some other people that we don't get to fish with all the time out, you know, new faces, having a couple different boats was a good time. That's the first time I've actually got to fish with Aaron. Him and I have talked on the interwebs and texted and talked on the phone. For and your wife got tattooed by My him. wife got tattooed. She, she met him before I did. 
but that's the first time we got to fish with him. And uh, I can see it happening a lot more now. The coolest thing, one of the coolest things was uh, Aaron. I got into the vehicle with him. We were talking tattoos and stuff, and he goes, so I'm going to do something today. So whoever catches the biggest fish today can get a free tattoo. Or, you know, uh, the starts of if they want a decent-sized tattoo, a few hours in, you know, or whatever, be in the chair. You know what I mean? Some time in the chair and blah, blah, blah. It has blah. to be fishing-related. Yes, it has to be a fishing-related tattoo. I said, okay, well, if you catch the biggest fish, then I get to tattoo you. Okay, that's how, that's how this has to work, right? So, you know, because if you win, something has to happen here. So, but And he was in the lead for quite a while. Yeah, he was in the lead. <clears throat> then I took the lead for just a second with that silly pally. And then Dad just, you know, two browns in a row, and that was about the end of that. So Dad's talking. Dad's actually talking about, like, he's really, like, putting some time and thought into what he wants. And I was like... I'm like, you're really going to get a tattoo, dude? Like, my dad doesn't have earrings. My dad doesn't know. He didn't no tattoos, nothing on him, you know? He's like a perfect Jewish person. <laughs> exactly. So, I can't, because if I do, I'm only going to do one thing and one thing only, and it would cost too dang much. I would get a sleeve from probably here the whole way down of a musky skin. I told Aaron, I was like, if I win this, I'm going to get a picture, like a tattoo of a brown trout, but it's going to be coiled up like a turd, and the head's going <laughs> to <laughs> like a soft serve turd. <laughs> we should make that in the stickers, though. <laughs> Dad said he's, he might go with the old calf tattoo, which for him and being a little more professional uh, atmosphere all the time. And uh, you know who rocks calf tattoos? Fat dudes. Oh yeah, because fat they dudes. have giant calves. Yeah, they have, yeah, a lot of work, <laughs> lurking space. But I need to get over there and talk to Aaron about that stuff too. And we need to get back together. I left some stuff with him, and he left some stuff with me after that long, long day. So Yeah, that was a long Chad, float. Chad was getting all mm-hmm. at the end, you know. I'm, I'm done. You went, went past five hours. He was done. <laughs> I was, I'm, yeah. I'm over, I'm done. I'm, I'm over this trout thing. I was over it because I didn't catch a fucking one of them. <laughs> But good times out but with good people. But small saved my day. Yeah, it was fun. So do we have anything else we want to hit on, boys? Uh-uh. Let's catch some fish tomorrow. Yeah. I'm ready. Take our wives out. I'm Hopefully ready to row. Get them. Yeah, I don't really care to fish at all. I just want to row. Let's get Mason to a big, big, big smallmouth. That'd be cool, man. That would be cool. Mm-hmm. So tonight's show brought to you by Predator Flagger. Check them out at PredatorFlagger.com. ARX Hooks. ARXHooks.com. Sims Fishing. It's summertime. Go out and get yourself some new Sims Fishing gear at simsfishing.com. Hey, guys. Go book a fly fishing trip from Urban Fly Company because tonight's show is being recorded live from the Urban Fly Company studios. Uh, Check out Michael at Down to Earth Wealth Management. Queen City Guiding, Ryan Evans. QueenCityGuiding.com. Thanks for coming in. We had a great time with you, buddy. Love you, Ryan. Yeti, built for the wild. 